This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. I invite you to rise as we hear today in the life of Jesus from John's Gospel. We're reading in the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, on the first day of the week, when the doors of the house where the disciples met were locked because of fear for religious leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, unless I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side... I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, again, Jesus still came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't doubt, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you might have life in his name. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Grace and peace be yours through our risen Lord Jesus the Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's start, if we could, by trying to forget everything you've ever learned about Thomas. That's, going, that's, that's not going to be that hard because there's not that much, but most of what we think we know, we probably shouldn't. Um, if you think that doubting is his first name and Thomas is his last name, that's a good place to start. If you think that somehow he's like a lesser disciple, um, you know, not as important as Peter or James or John or or Matthew, forget that. And if you you have even a tinge that that in this lesson Jesus is chastising Thomas or rebuking Thomas for not believing, you need to forget that. And here's why you need to forget all that stuff, because none of it's true, none of it. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, nowhere in John's Gospel, um, which is, by the way, the only place where Thomas has his own little storyline. He says a couple things elsewhere in Scripture, but only in John is his own scene. Uh, nowhere in John's Gospel is Thomas actually described as a doubter. It's quite the opposite. Jesus actually has another nickname for him. John brings it up. Jesus called him the twin. 
When Jesus tells his disciples that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they are going to kill me, all the rest of the disciples say, oh, we're not going there, we're not going there. And Thomas, the twin, says, I'll go, and we all got to go. We'll all go and die with you, Lord. So Thomas is not really like a doubter. That's not, that's not his character. That's not who he is. What he, what he is, I think, is, is he's a realist. Um, and just a few days earlier, he had encountered reality in his life in a way that he probably hadn't ever had before. His teacher, uh, his master, um, had been nailed to a cross by a Roman military and had been humiliated and spit on and killed. Now, Thomas has no trouble when he meets with the rest of them when they say, oh, yeah, everything's fine now. Thomas has no trouble speaking the truth. And his friends say, we've seen the Lord. This is what Thomas says, really? Really? Where were you when they crucified my Lord? Risen. Really? So what Thomas is, is Thomas is a realist. And let me give you a little example of how I think that would look like in our lives. Suppose you or someone that you love has a terminal illness. And this is how we go about this in our culture. We do everything we can. We get all the medicine we can. We take our best stops. We give it our best shot, but it doesn't always work. And and so as a disease progresses, you start working your way through the stages of grief. And, and eventually you, you come to accept your fate and, and hopefully you even commend yourself or someone you love to God. And, and you're at that point or on the road what people would call healthy grief. Now, now suppose somebody walks in and says, hey, I, I know this preacher in Acapulco and you just mailed him $5,000, you're going to be healed. You can call that doubt if you want. I call it being a realist. Um, that's not the way things work. And second, I don't know if you noticed, but Thomas asked for exactly what the other disciples got, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, when Jesus appears to the disciples, he actually volunteers it. He shows him his hand. He shows him his side. And, and yes, a huge blessing to be there that day and with other disciples because if it was just you by yourself. And according to John, when Jesus shows himself to the disciples, this is what they say. They, they rejoiced because they saw the Lord. And Thomas just didn't see it. It's that simple. He didn't see it. So he's no different than any of the rest of the disciples. He just wants to experience it for himself. Now, now I think that's actually how faith works. We have these moments of loss and confusion and chaos, and when, when we start to shut down and deny the possibility of hope when things get really tough, yes, Easter Monday sometimes, that's the way it starts to feel for us. I don't know that you're human if you haven't been there. Uh, and in moments like that of grief and trial and chaos, our hearts and our minds and our lives, they just kind of shut down, and, and they start to lock up just as securely as being in an upper room. Uh, Thomas really isn't any different than anybody else who had been through the reality that he had been through. Now, there's a chance that we've brought an idolatrous notion forward. Um, This is what it sounds like. If you have more faith, you'll have less doubts. That would be like a little equation. And it's it's just not true. There's a chance that what we have done is confuse uh, certainty and knowledge and conviction with faith. And there's even a chance that we've forgotten that that faith is not something that I get to decide. It's not something that I will, but that faith is always a gift. There are a lot of people with faith in this room, but I would say to honestly share where did you get that faith is a lot harder to do 
than you might think at first. In his letter to the Hebrews, Paul says, faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for, hoped for, and the conviction of things that are, that are not seen. Third, Jesus' words, I think, are uh, at the end of this scene, are, are not, they're not really about Thomas. Um, the story's not really about Thomas at all. Uh, th- this is what's called literary criticism, by the way. Um, we're reading through a story, we're reading through a narrative, we've been reading through a whole book, we're at the end of the Gospel of John, and suddenly at the end of the story, at the end of the book, there's this little commentary at the end. In this case, there's actually a moral and a commentary. When Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet they've come to believe, and that is how John ends the whole narrative, who's he actually talking to at that point? You're not talking to Thomas, he's seen. You're not talking to the disciples, they've all seen. Everybody in the room has seen. Everybody. Jesus is standing right there. So who's he talking to? Well, let me suggest to you that he's talking to the church, to the first early church. Let me also suggest it doesn't really stop there. And that's part of why John's gospel is so different than the other three. Uh, Maybe that's why it's included in the canon at all, because John's gospel is inclusive, includes all of us. And let me hypothesize this. Jesus is not so much rebuking Thomas at that moment for not believing when he didn't see, as much as he is blessing everyone from that point on who will believe even though they do not see. And it's such a marvelous, inclusive, gracious blessing. Blessed are all of those who will not see but believe. Now, if you could do that, if you could for just a moment forget everything you know about Thomas, far from an example of being, what, you know, like an inferior, doubting, rebuked disciple, if you could put all of that aside, Thomas might start to emerge as a model, a model disciple about how, how we come to faith. That's not only why John tells the story, it's why he wrote the entire book. Thomas is the model of how one becomes a disciple of Jesus. In short, the resurrected Jesus changes everything from that point on in Thomas's life. Now look, Thomas isn't any fool. Um, he just comes at things realistically. He just, just counts the cost. And once he encounters Jesus, once he sees, once he hears, once he touches the risen Jesus, his faith becomes every bit as strong as his skepticism. And it's worth noting that he, he doesn't just believe. This isn't like, you know, confirmation class and does a little ritual at the end. He makes the penultimate confession of faith in the entire New Testament. He says, Jesus is my Lord, which, by the way, that's what got people in trouble when you said that Jesus is your Lord rather than Caesar, rather than religious leaders. That's what gets you nailed. And it's actually an echo of something even bigger than that. He says, my Lord and my God, which is the highest praise in the New Testament. You remember how the Gospel of John began? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And this is how it ends, my Lord, my God. It's a story of God. So it's really no surprise that you get to the whole end of this story, and and John follows this story with a two-sentence purpose statement at the end. Sometimes you put that at the very beginning in academic papers. He waits till the very end. 
This is what he says. Listen to it again. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this particular book. But this book is written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Son of God, and that through your believing, you will have life in his name. In other words, what happens to Thomas is exactly what John is hoping will happen to you and to everyone who reads his book. To everyone hears the story. In the telling of this story of the resurrected Jesus, you will be blessed. We who have not seen, we can believe. And here's why this is so very important. Right now, there are far too many people who think that doubt is the opposite of faith. That certainty is the same as righteousness. Far too many people think that, that you check your brain at the door when you walk into the church. Uh, far too many people don't understand that, that, that they actually can bring their questions and they can bring their doubts and they can bring their hurts and they can bring your pain. You can bring your grief like Thomas did. Like Thomas did. You can be blessed. You can be blessed without seeing, without knowing, without touching, without empirical data, without certainty, you can be blessed by believing without seeing. Now think for a moment what a difference that would make if you understood the life of faith not as something that you have to produce, but as a gift, a complete gift from God. I've struggled how to talk about this at the first two services, so let me just, just keep rambling on about this. Um, the story is the same every year the Sunday after Easter. Every year we hear the same story. And so I kind of know it's coming. And uh, there's kind of a couple ways to handle that. Rob Saylor on Facebook, a uh, professor in Indianapolis today, said, quit making Thomas a villain. Got it. Um, but I think it's really important that we don't, that, well, that we, we, we accept that doubt is part of being a disciple of Jesus. Um, and here's how it plays out for me. It isn't particularly helpful for me. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. When you tell me that you've touched Jesus or that he's touched you or that you've seen Jesus or you've heard Jesus or you've felt Jesus, and I don't deny any of that's happening, it's just it isn't always work for me. I, I've got a little too much of that Frank Sinatra, do it my way kind of stuff inside me. Uh, and I don't want to leave my brain. I have a very difficult time doing that. I don't want to leave my experience. I, I want to put my hands and I want to touch and that's how I want to believe. And I don't really think I'm alone in that. Uh, and at those moments when I'm feeling that way, just telling me what to believe or what you believe or what you've seen, that doesn't work for me. I need to touch. I need to taste. I, I need to see. I, I need to experience it. I need to do it for myself. And then I started to say, well, but I do have the gift of faith. Where does it come from? And one of the ways that it comes for me, and it's a blessing of being uh, a parish pastor, is that whenever we gather at this meal, um, I experience the risen Christ. 
And I know that we've religified it and uh, legalized it, ritualized the whole sacrament thing, but it'd be really easy today to, to, to miss the connection between Thomas touching Jesus in the flesh and blood and our claiming that we gather around the flesh and blood of Jesus every time we gather. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I see and touch the wounds, the body, and the blood. And every week when we gather here, there's an invitation to come and taste and see and eat the body and blood of Jesus. Now, we don't come to this table because we have all the answers, because we know everything. And we, we're offering some communion classes starting next week, second, fifth graders. You've asked for it. We've got Christina True Hands at a seminary. Christina, where's your hand? It's everybody to see you. Um, we're having a class for kids the next few Wednesdays. Um, we, we don't say, come to this class, learn everything there is to learn about communion, and then, then you're allowed to come. We received a bunch of new members today. We didn't say, you're not allowed to come to communion until you actually know all the right things, and you're like us. We come with doubts, we come with questions, we come with fears, we come with grief, and we come to this table in order to touch, in order to see, in order to experience. And, and here's, the, here's the great, great irony of it all. I, I, I began the sermon by telling you, forget everything you know about Thomas, and I don't want to end the sermon by saying, but remember everything you learned about touching Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with how to do that. Every time we gather... Jesus walks through locked doors again, every time. And every time we gather, he appears to his disciples. That's who we are. And he shows himself to us in the bread, in the wine, in the word, in the water, alive, well, present among us. He lets us touch him. He gifts us. He blesses us with faith. And that's big. That's just really big. It changes everything in the story. Lord God... Help us forget what we need to forget and help us remember what we need to remember. Christ is risen, hallelujah. He is risen indeed, hallelujah.